according to the end user license agreement, your Nintendo Switch can legally kill you. On this episode of Bright Future, I talk about a gaming issue and lawsuit that sets a terrifying precedent for the consumer-corporation relationship. This is a weekly political podcast that follows current events and how we may do better so that there may be a brighter future. I'm your host, Samuel Adams, but please call me Sam. And without further ado, let's begin this week's episode, which I have titled Tokyo Drift. So there you are on the all-singing, all-dancing, shiny new Switch from Nintendo. This new product is amazing. It's both a handheld that you can use on the go and a console you can slot into a TV. You can you can take it anywhere, platforming your way through mushroom-infested land in an epic quest to defeat a giant spiky turtle guy and save the girl, or messing around in a party game with your friends, or raging at that stupid blue shell with the turtle wings. There's just one problem. Occasionally, the joysticks on the controller will randomly start acting as if you are tilting them, even if you aren't. This is a defect called drift, and some people started experiencing this issue after less than 20 hours of use. Is it because of damage caused by raging and throwing the switch around? Is it because of shipping and handling issues? No, it's because of an inherent design flaw in the Joy-Cons that's existed since the console first launched in 2017. An inherent design flaw in the otherwise perfectly functional controller renders the thing useless. In some cases documented across social media, the controller lasts for less than 20 hours. According to which, a UK consumer group, roughly 40% of all Switch owners have experienced this drift. This issue is caused by the basic design of the joystick. The way these joysticks work is by moving the potentiometer along a rubber pad inside the casing. This moving potentiometer changes the electrical current through the pad, which is how the input is registered. However, the rubber pad is very susceptible to wearing out, causing the electrical current to flow through the pad incorrectly. In addition, any amount of dust or debris getting inside the casing will also cause the drifting. But this console launched in 2017, five years ago, almost six. Surely by now, design alterations could have been made with the newer versions that are being manufactured to correct this major design flaw. After all, no other controllers with a joystick face this issue anywhere near this extreme level. But even the releases of the OLED and Lite versions of the Switch face this same issue. When I buy a product, I expect it to, at the very least, function as intended for a reasonable amount of time. 20 hours for a game controller is definitely not reasonable. As a result, several lawsuits have actually been filed against Nintendo, and the first pair were filed in Washington in 2019. The first states that Nintendo is fully aware of the defect but does not disclose it before purchasing the Switch, and routinely refuses to repair the joysticks without charge. The second suit states that the controllers are defective, do not work as advertised, and breaches warranty and numerous consumer protection statutes. A few months after these suits were filed, a memo from Nintendo leaked. The memo acknowledges the issues and advises customer service representatives to offer free repairs after walking the customer through some basic troubleshooting. That didn't stop the lawsuit problem. 
Two additional suits were filed alleging that Nintendo has a defective manufacturing process that, even after Nintendo acknowledged and apologized for the problem, continued to produce more defective Joy-Cons. A French consumer group also filed a lawsuit, this time alleging that the Joy-Cons were designed with planned obsolescence in mind, forcing customers to spend more money than they intended either on a repair bill or a replacement. All of these lawsuits are in progress, except for one, which was finalized in the beginning of February, and is where the issues start to get worse. Here's a statement for that lawsuit. The facts herein are described by our previous order. In brief, plaintiffs plaintiffs allege the Nintendo Switch game console, working as a unit with two handheld controllers, Joy-Cons, harbored a defect, which caused an on-screen avatar to move without direction from the player. The defect grew worse over time to the point where the plaintiffs assert the consoles became unusable. At setup, Nintendo required consent to an end-user license agreement, EULA, which contained arbitration and forum selection clauses. Basically, a mom and dad gave their two kids a Switch for their birthdays. And after a few months of the kids enjoying this great gift, they began to experience the Joy-Con drift problem. So, the parents tried to sue, and both Nintendo and the judge told the parents to follow the end-user license agreement, and follow arbitration, a process to correct issues such as this. So the parents contacted Nintendo for repairs, which Nintendo tried to charge them $40 for, which is how much a new Joy-Con costs. And so, the parents continued their lawsuit. And then they began running into more issues with Nintendo's end-user license agreement. Did the console belong to the parents or the kids? And depending on the answer, who should even be filing the suit? Minors can't sign the end-user license agreement, so if the console belonged to the kids, the end-user license agreement wouldn't apply. But if the console belongs to the parents, then the end-user license agreement does apply. According to the judge, Parents giving their kids a console means the console still belongs to the parents, and so the end-user license agreement still applies. Claimants were bound when they purchased the Switch and assigned their minor children the tasks of setting up the Switch, which constituted the use of the Switch by the parents. There is no agreement between Nintendo and the minors. Because the minors were never parties to the EULA or bound by its arbitration provision, we need not decide what law would govern the minors' avoidance of contractual obligations under the EULA. Nor do we need to determine whether the minors misrepresented their ages or whether any contractual obligations of the minors were avoided or disaffirmed within a reasonable time. But that end-user license agreement has a major issue. It, quote, disallows lawsuits, and that you can't sue Nintendo over a defective product. In the end, the judge for this lawsuit sided with the end-user license agreement and threw out the lawsuit. Basically, well, they said you can't sue them, so I guess you can't sue them. The thing about a contract like an end-user license agreement is that under most national laws, a contract is a legally binding agreement that protects both parties. An end-user license agreement is one such contract, and is subject to contract law, which means there are several angles and arguments that can be made to try and invalidate it from both ends. To begin, is this a case of undue influence? Undue influence is a psychological process 
in contract law where a person, or in this case company, attempts to control their victim's decision-making through unfair pressure or even manipulation tactics, usually for financial gain. But the thing to know about undue influence is that it's not just one event. It's not one line in a contract. It's a process built up over years. In Nintendo's case, it may follow the SCAM model of undue influence. The SCAM model has four parts, and it's actually an acronym. Susceptibility of the victim, error of trusting relationship between the victim and perpetrator, perpetrator hiding financial transactions, and lastly, monetary loss of the victim. It doesn't quite fit. It is the consumer initiating the transactions and not Nintendo. However, the other three criteria do seem to work. Nintendo is a large gaming company that's been built up nostalgia in customers for coming up on three generations now. It's a massive, historically trustworthy name. When a consumer hears its name, we know that we can lower our guard. It's a safe buy for hours of quality entertainment. Well, until the Nintendo Switch. But, again, not a perfect fit, so maybe we can find something better. Is this a clean hands issue? Clean hands, for contract law, is a defense that Nintendo could use against the family that was suing them. That the plaintiff, the family, is acting unethically, or has acted in bad faith in regards to the contract, the end-user license agreement. And when I look in the comments on some of these news stories online, I see many commenters saying that this is exactly what the family is doing. That they are using their kids to manipulate the justice system in their favor. But in reviewing the case, I don't think this is true. When this case first hit court, Nintendo's first defense is because... Nintendo's first defense was, because the parents filed, the case was void because the parents were not the owner of the console. The kids were. So the parents amended the suit to refile it under their children so that the case was no longer void. That's not using their children to manipulate the system. That's following the system's exact request. But this turned out to be an issue for the suit because the actual ownership of the Switch was a serious contention point. In the end, the judge ruled that the parents did indeed own the Switch and had agreed to the end-user license agreement before allowing their children to set up and use it. And because the parents were no longer on the lawsuit at that point, and only the kids, again, the judge deemed the suit void. To me, this doesn't feel like a clean hands defense. This sounds like Nintendo's trying to complicate their contract law to a ridiculous extreme to try and kill the suit. In the end, this end-user license agreement sounds like an illusory promise, a promise that the courts will not enforce. Nintendo promised to deliver a quality product to their customers, and instead, they shipped a defective product, and even after being aware of the defect, continued to produce it. Even in newer versions of the product, the defect still exists, but in every single marketplace, Nintendo does not disclose that the Switch has a defect, and does everything in its power to make you pay for repairs or replacements. At least by now, years after the Switch first launched, Nintendo is agreeing to provide for free repairs. Oh wait, let's read that end-user license agreement. Article 5. Disclaimer and Limitation of Liability You shall use the system at your sole risk. No information or advice provided by Nintendo creates a warranty. The system is provided 
on an as-is basis without warranty of any kind. Free repairs, but there is no warranty. According to various reviews online, it is a little tricky to get those repairs, and you need to wait two to four weeks for the repairs to actually get completed. It seems like it would be a lot easier to just not make a defective product. But while reading the end-user license agreement and researching this episode, I discovered the first and last line of Article 5 of the end-user license agreement. You shall use the system at your sole risk. For the avoidance of doubt, nothing in this agreement shall exclude or restrict Nintendo's liability for death or personal injury resulting from Nintendo's negligence. The Nintendo Switch can legally kill you. Okay, not really, but as I mentioned earlier, contracts are made to protect all parties involved. If Nintendo is legally allowed to be negligent, to the point that my Nintendo Switch kills me, how on earth is that protecting both parties? Remember the Samsung Galaxy Note 7? In 2017, that model of phone had a major defect with its battery, causing a large quantity of them to explode. Imagine if, instead of the joysticks being defective, it was the battery. The Switch is a handheld device. If the battery was defective and could explode like the Note 7 did, many users, including children, could be holding it when that happens. Spraying battery acid on people, resulting in serious injury, damages, or even death. Okay, this is an extreme example, but let's consider a more reasonable one. What if the Switch was marketed as being waterproof? It isn't, but if it was, users may decide to use them in the bath. After all, these are marketed as console gaming on the go. What if this supposed waterproofing had a defect? And what if someone using it in the bath dropped it? According to Nintendo's end-user license agreement, if the exploding battery or faulty waterproofing were a reality, Nintendo would not be liable for any of those damages. And even if a court did a, uh, even if a court of law did award you damages in those cases, according to that same end user license agreement, quote, Nintendo's liability to you in connection with any claims relating to the system is limited to the amount that you actually paid for the system. That's right. Your damages are limited to two hundred and fifty to three hundred dollars maximum. Unless you receive the Switch as a gift, at which point your damages are $0 because you got the Switch for free. According to the lawsuit I mentioned earlier, a judge ruled that this end-user license agreement is 100% legal. This is an excellent lesson on why we should always read those agreements that we end up signing without even bothering to skim through. I really hope I haven't inadvertently signed an end-user license agreement somewhere that says the product can kill me through negligence. I'm gonna have to go read those. In conclusion, I urge Nintendo to actually fix the design flaw that causes the Joy-Con drift before producing any more Switches, or at the very least, add a disclaimer of this issue prior to any purchase of your product. 
I also urge the judge that ruled on this case to double check and make sure this end user license agreement is actually legal because I have concerns. Lastly, I urge you and myself to read these agreements that we sign every single day. And if we do, maybe we can avoid other products having similar issues and head towards a brighter future. So what do you think? You still here? Yeah. Within certain reason, I understand why they include the end or death thing. But secondarily, there's no battery acid in the batteries. They're lithium cell. Well, like true, but batteries are known for, you know, exploding. exploding, yeah. Yeah. You're basically but holding a potential lithium, hand grenade. I would say you want to be more concerned about violent fires erupting from them and lithium gas gas which needless to say is pretty toxic yeah full disclosure i did not actually research to see what kind of battery there is and i'm because there isn't actually a defect with the battery as far as i am aware but if this was a defect with the battery instead of the of the joy-con's joystick this would be way worse, especially considering that the judge ruled that this end-user license agreement stands and that you aren't allowed to sue Nintendo for defects. Imagine if that stood for, like, any food that you were eating. Or no, for your microwave or your car. car. Or, like, any other product that's out there. Where if the product is defective and somehow either stops working or somehow hurts you, you can't sue the company. You can't get damages from the company that way. That's a terrifying precedent to set. Now, while every other part of this Switch has less issues than the Joy-Cons and the functionality of them. I do have another issue that I feel is completely valid. They could have fixed this by making the entire Switch just a bit thicker. Yeah, they could have just... They could have used standard Joy-Cons manufactured for every other console yeah because like my controller i've had since like 2017 and i use it regularly and it still works fine i do not experience any kind of drift problem or anything like that and like it's not like it's incredibly thick or can't be handheld or anything it's if it's not gonna get stuck on my mic it's like about the same thickness as a switch i'd say it's maybe like an inch inch and a half thick at most you don't realize how thin these things are these things are exceptionally thin they had to design specifically the joy con circuitry to be as thin as it is so it would fit inside So they had to, like, redesign how the joystick works. 
and just went with the cheapest option so that it breaks. No, like, they went with what they thought would be probably the most stable. Well, I mean, I true, but... to their intentions. My big problem with it, though, is they've been making this for coming up on six years now, and the newer ones that they're still making still have this problem. And they last for 20 hours. Likely, but I can't say that for mine because I've used my controllers for more than 20 plus hours. Well, 20 plus hours is like the minimum that I've seen people use them for on social media without like actively trying to destroy them, of course. Oh, yeah, no. But like, given 20 hours minimum for them to break and then two to four weeks to actually get them repaired, that's not a fair trade-off. You get to use your Switch for 20 hours, and then you don't get to use it for the next month. Then you get it back, you can use it for another 20 hours. You can't. (laughs) Some people will. That's terrible. Yeah. At least this is limited to gaming right now, because, like, that's not super important, but imagine if this started happening to, like, surgical equipment, MRI machines, food. (laughs) Actually, I do know something somewhat related to what you just brought up that is valid. Remote surgical units. Oh, God, if those have any kind of... If they have even the smallest problem, that's going to be a problem. The smallest design flaw, the smallest cost-cutting method. Oh, they even have the smallest method. mint of Wi-Fi disturbance that could kill somebody. Oh, yeah. Those are... Ugh. There's a reason they're only doing, like, test surgeries on fruits right now. <laughs> they gave a great chest implants. I remember that. I didn't hear about that one, but I did hear about previously grape surgery. Yeah, they gave a great like chest implants, like miniature. Interesting. <laughs> that was funny. I can't believe that became a thing all over the internet. They gave great those. Uh. Anyway, anything more relevant to the rest of this, or I- I'm all winded out from yelling about this now. Thing is, just they could have made the switch better. They could have just overall. I mean, true, it might have made it a little bit more expensive, but the switch is already like one of the cheapest consoles out there, two hundred fifty to three hundred dollars. So, like, and you're upping the cost what, a little bit. Six hundred for Xbox for Xbox and... PlayStation. If yeah. you can find those consoles, upping the cost wouldn't have, wouldn't have been a problem like at all, especially if it meant eliminating this problem entirely. Oh yeah, as well as that, they could have done overall higher graphics fidelity. Oh yeah, just a lot of stuff that people have wanted since the Switch came out. At least this is currently just limited to the Switch, but. 
Give it five years or less, especially with this lawsuit. Uh, check the description for more information including the resources I used to build this episode and all of the places where you can find my podcast you can also join in our discord server to discuss these and other topics as well as join in when these episodes are recorded live every Monday at 7pm central if you would like to support the show or spread the word I have a merch store full of items that show off both the show's logo and icons for individual episodes As always, thank you for listening to this episode of Bright Future. These episodes are released every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central, so I'll see you back here next week.